Hi, it's Dave. Welcome to episode 237. Today we have a live stream. It's Tesla's Q4 2020 earnings and it's uh, going to be an exciting day here. If you can go ahead in the live stream comments and go ahead and give me a thumbs up if you can hear me okay. And I've got some notes here where I'm going to go through some of the things I'm looking for um, for Tesla's earnings today. And then um, it's just a few minutes. We're about 10 minutes away from market close. Typically Tesla releases their Q4 earnings and their shareholder letter shortly after market close, usually within the first five minutes. So I figure I'll give about 10 minutes of comments and just kind of prepare us for what to expect and how to process things. And then we'll go ahead and um, if the shareholder holder letter comes out, then um, I hope I could see the stock price and stuff and uh, let me know in the comments that the shareholder letter has come out. And then we'll go ahead, we'll flip over to that and I'll uh, comment on it on my iPad and we'll go through the whole letter together. All right, so a few opening kind of thoughts or comments. A lot of times with earnings, people can get all hyped up into the stock price. What's the stock price going to do? And I think that's a part of it, right? And I even have the stock price here, you know, on the screen. Um, but another part of it is I think there's an overlooked opportunity to see the true health of a company, to try to parse through the management's comments, the, the shareholder letter, the finances, trying to look for signs on how healthy the product demand is, um, what their growth plans are like, and whether or not the company is accelerating in innovation or not. And so I want to look under the cover. And as I do with a lot of my videos, I want to not just look at the surface level, which is I'm not going to say it's not important, but it's just what it is. It's, for example, the stock price. But we want to look deeper and we want to look into what's the trajectory and has anything changed or shifted with Tesla. And I think the earnings report shareholder letter is going to um, carry some clues for us. All right. Um, number two, here's kind of a second uh, point here is for Tesla's earnings, a lot of it is actually in the bag already um, because a lot of it is determined on its delivery number. And we know that Tesla already delivered 180,000 vehicles right from um, in Q3, so October, November, and December of last year. And what 180,000 vehicles means is Tesla has already knocked it out of the ballpark because that determines the revenue figure. And I'm estimating about $10.5 billion to $11 billion in revenue, mostly from auto. They do have some you know, solar energy or energy as well, but most of it is revenue. I'm looking for about roughly a $500 to $700 million gap profit. And yeah, it's going to be, I think, the record, the biggest uh, gap profit Tesla's ever recorded. I'm also looking for um, operating expenses to stay in line. I'm looking for about $1.5 to $1.6 billion. Now, a lot of... The operating expenses actually is Elon Musk's CEO compensation plan from it's the 2018 uh, plan. And the reason is this. See, Tesla has to book actually the cost of the CEO compensation plan when it's likely that Elon Musk is going to reach certain tranches or targets. And because Tesla's rapid increase in stock price, Tesla has... Elon has already reached almost all of Tesla's valuation tranches, which are 12 valuation tranches. The other 12 tranches for Tesla, um, Elon's CEO compensation plan are more, are more milestone tranches. And Tesla is rapidly actually meeting all of the or meeting those one by one. And so I'm calculating about $350 million of cost that Tesla has to book into their gap earnings for Elon's CEO compensation plan. Now that hurts the gap profit, which would be normally much higher if 
right? We didn't have to book Elon Musk's CEO compensation plan. In Q1 of, of this year, we're going to see, I think, that CEO compensation plan costs cut in half, and that's going to help profit a lot. Now, here's the gist of what we're looking for with Tesla's earnings. And with any company's earnings, you want to see the company's revenue minus it by cost of goods, which is the cost it takes to create or make those goods. And you're left with something called gross profit. Now, gross profit is what you're making out off of just the product, but you're not uh, expensing yet all of the operations to manage your personnel, your advertising, your marketing, your administration, your R&D, etc. And so you take your gross profit number and you minus your operating expenses. Then you have a bit more of, of expenses like interest expense, etc. And then you will end up basically with the profit number. And um, the difference between gap and non-gap, there's several different things, but gap usually is a more conservative number where you have to book stock-based compensation like Elon's uh, CEO compensation plan, but also stock-based compensation for its other employees. So actually non-gap profit is actually probably a better indicator of Tesla's true profit. Um, and so I think since Tesla has already meet, met the S&P 500's criteria for gap profits, uh, profitable quarters in a row, I think this non-gap actually profit number is gonna be more important going forward. And I think we're gonna see, um, yeah, um, a great number for that. All right, so one of the key things also I'm looking for in this earnings report is to highlight Tesla's operating leverage. Now this is, I think, the big story of Tesla in 2020 and 2021 and 2021, 22. And it's the whole idea that as Tesla scales its revenue and its production, their operating expenses don't scale as fast as they're scaling their revenue. So in other words, you're able to double your revenue, but you don't have to double your expenses. And by doing that, you're actually making a lot more profit. And this is called operating leverage. And this is kind of one of the key concepts that um, Tesla is showing and why Tesla is blowing away people um, continuously quarter after quarter. People are shocked with what Tesla is showing with their operating leverage. And so in Q4, this is going to be the, the quarter that Tesla has delivered the most cars ever. And we're going to start to see a massive operating leverage. And this is only going to increase as Tesla is able to ramp their uh, vehicles even more in the future. All right. So um, that's definitely what I'm looking for. So what does Tesla do with operating leverage. And this is the cool part. As Tesla is able to improve right their profit, their cash flow, they're able to reinvest that cash flow. Before in Tesla's history, let's say pre, you know, 2019 and before, Tesla didn't have much free cash flow. And as a result, they had to be very um, stingy with how they spend money and very careful. But now as Tesla's not just having $20 billion in the bank, but they have billions of cash flow every year, they're able to invest this aggressively into future growth. And so if Tesla wants to push it further, they're gonna push it further. And this is what we're gonna see, I think, in the next few years, is Elon and his team pushing growth very, very fast, very, very aggressively. And this is what we're gonna see with the 4680 cells that Tesla has this year with Austin and Berlin. Um, Shanghai expansion, and we're probably gonna see um, some more announcements this coming year. All right, another thing I'm looking for for earnings. And um, yeah, market closes just in a few seconds here. It's almost 1 p.m. Um, so another thing is I'm looking for the 2021 delivery guidance from Tesla. And um, 
my guess is that Tesla will deli- will guide for two hundred or eight. Uh, 750,000 to 800,000 vehicles for 2021. So what's, why is this important? Why does Tesla have to issue guidance? You know, what's the significance? You know, Tesla needs to give an idea of what they're expecting, you know, what they're shooting for. Now, internally, Tesla might have a lot higher goals, maybe 900,000 or even more. Um, they might even have a stretch goal of a million vehicles. But Tesla's been pretty good with trying to be conservative over the past uh, year or so. And so I think Tesla will continue this kind of conservative approach and guidance and will guide hopefully 750 to 800,000 uh, cars. If they guide for more than that, like 850,000, then you know that Tesla really is super confident that they can beat that by a large margin. Um, in the conference call, Elon Musk might actually spill the beans and say, hey, we're shooting for a million. And I don't even know if that really helps things per se. I think it's better actually just to say, hey, you know, we'll try to beat it, but we have a conservative, you know, good number of 750,000. I'm also looking for a few things about timeline. So we have important factories. Berlin is going to be producing the Model Y with 4680 cells for the European market, it's going to be huge. Austin is needing to come online with the Model Y, but also with Cybertruck. You have the Tesla Semi coming up. This is, I think, a huge market. I think the Tesla Semi um, could actually surprise people how many vehicles um, it can sell per year. I'm thinking at least 50,000 to 100,000 vehicles, if not um, significantly more than that. Um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Tesla Semi is just yeah a huge market. And then you have the Cybertruck. Um, any news that the Cybertruck is going to be delivered, you know, this year is going to be good news. I know um, Elon has given hints that it's extremely difficult uh, product to manufacture. And then a final thing is there's a timeout timeline with a full self driving rollout. And so we want to know when uh, Tesla plans to release it to more of a wide release, um, their full self driving beta. Also, when they think they can get their first robo taxis out. And I think this is also a great demand driver because as people start to see full self-driving in action, um, this is going to drive people's adoption of the full self-driving option. And to pay $10,000, Elon might decide to up it to $12,000. Who knows? Again, all of this is pretty much pure uh, profit because um, whether or not uh, 10 million people buy full self-driving option or nobody buys it, it's still the same sunk cost for Tesla. And so this is one of the beauties of Tesla's op- um business model is this is very, very highly software uh, driven and the margins are super high. Overall, um, I think 2020 has been a fabulous year for Tesla. Who would have thought that Tesla would deliver 500,000 cars um, in the year of a major global pandemic, pandemic and being forced to shut down their factory for a period of time? It's just amazing. The demand has proven super strong for Tesla's products. It's even become more clear this year that Tesla is far ahead of the competition. They're pushing the envelope with cell improvements, as we saw with battery day. They're pushing the envelope with autonomy day, as we're seeing with full self-driving beta. They're pushing the envelope with new factories, making these new factories cheaper to build out, faster to build out, and more efficient to build out. And all of this is prepping Tesla to set to create a cheaper Gen 4 or Model 2 car, which would be about $25,000 car that will significantly increase Tesla's addressable market, I think probably about 10x. And I think the Gen 4 or Model 2 car is going to be the car. 
and its lineup of many cars. I think this is an entire platform that we're talking about. It's going to take um, Tesla past the 10 million uh, year a car per year mark. All right. Um, let's go ahead and check. We don't have earnings out yet. And um, I'm going to check uh, aftermarket um, stock right now, price. And we're pretty much flat aftermarket. So uh, we'll wait a couple more minutes. If um, if the shareholder letter comes up, um, yeah, let me know. Uh, Couch Investor, hey, how's it going? Um, he invited me on his channel to get interviewed by him. And so we're going to set that up for next week. I'm looking forward to it. All right. One other thing before we um, uh, wait for this or see this shareholder letter is there's something called the deferred tax valuation allowance. And this is pretty important because it allows Tesla to book a $1.9 billion profit for a quarter. And if Tesla actually recognizes this, we're going to see a $2.5 billion profit yeah, profit. And it's going to be insane. All the headlines are going to go crazy. You're going to see the algos, um, the algorithms pick up, you know, the, the profit from the shareholder letter, which they scan it super quick in seconds. And we're going to see um, the stock prices jump, I think maybe 50 bucks just in a matter of seconds. And so if that happens, you'll know that this is what happened. So here's the explanation from 2004 to 2019. Tesla accumulated pre-tax losses of $6.9 billion. So, you know, they lost money over the years, so they have all these pre-tax losses. And they could use those losses against future profits, and so they could basically avoid paying taxes on $6.9 billion of profit going forward. Now, this has to be, though, recognized in a single quarter for, for gap um, uh, reasons. And therefore, um, there are times, like, for example, when Twitter... Um, was unprofitable for a long time and they had a streak of let's say a year of profitability when you know you have sustained profitability you're able to book this uh, deferred tax um, valuation allowance and twitter was able to do that in one quarter and you saw this crazy you know profit in one quarter of course it's not sustainable so it's just kind of like booking it's just uh, it's an accounting thing that just you know shows profit in 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 one single quarter that's crazy and so Tesla needs to actually book this allowance. And I think it's going to be booked either this quarter or next quarter. I think you've got a 60% chance or so that Tesla will book this deferred tax valuation allowance in this quarter. What does that mean? If this happens, um, this $1.9 billion goes in as a line item um, as probably other income, right? And you'll see the gap profit be you know, over $2 billion in a single quarter. This will help Tesla because um, even though it's just like a, you know, one-time deal, it'll help people to first, you see a greater profit for the whole year or, or the past trailing 12 months. And because of that, you'll see people um, give the, the POV ratio that people used to value stocks. It'll be lower than the than the crazy, what, 700 or so POV right now that, that Tesla's getting. So it'll drop significantly. So that might make some institutional investors, some benchmark funds more eager or more um, amendable to purchasing Tesla. And I think overall, you've got, um, it would be a great headline to, to see how Tesla just blows out earnings completely. And I think, yeah, a lot of this stuff is perception. And, you know, this is, Tesla is, even though it's 
admitted to the S&P 500, they're still skeptics, they're still doubters, and anything to really help Tesla um, will kind of be part of changing people's mind. And so yeah, I think this quarter, Q4, um, is going to be an interesting quarter because it's probably going to be one of the, the first quarters where it's super clear, even to the bears, that Tesla is pr a profitable company. Even without regulatory credits, you're, you're going to see Tesla gap profitable, even without, right, even while booking 300 something plus um, thousand, um, uh, 300 plus million dollars in, in gap profit for Elon CEO compensation plan, still Tesla will be um, profitable. All right, looks like uh, it might be out. So Tesla is, uh, stock is dropping by $20. And um, I'm gonna go to the shareholder letter and let's go ahead. So here's the page and it is out. So interesting times. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna go ahead, I'm gonna mark this up. And we're going to go ahead and All right, Tesla is dropping by $30, and so something's going on. But anyways, um, we're going to look at this more in detail. So we have operating cash flow is $2.8 billion. Actually, let's make it so it's like that. And there's a $4.9 billion in cash, in cash equivalents to $19.4 billion. Uh, Tesla did a $5 billion cap raise, so that's a big reason. Free cash flow of $1.9 billion, so they actually spent, um, yeah, so they, um, they're cash flow positive. Here's profitability. So they have $721 million in gap net income, so this is great on the high end. Um, and overall, $2.5 billion non-gap income in 2020. Um, well, actually, this is the entire year, um, sorry. Um, for this quarter, they have a $270 million gap income. So this is actually lower than I'm expecting and probably than what the street is expecting. So therefore, you see the after hours um, down 35 bucks at this moment. Um, Non-gap net income of $900 million, which is fine. And then you have um, yeah, operating income and operating margin 5.4%. And stock-based compensation increases $633 million. Over half of that is probably Elon's. Uh, sock-based competition plan. Half a million vehicles delivered in 2020. Model Y production started in December 2020 and then updated Model S and X launched launched in January 2021. So this is big news. This is exciting news. Tesla's finally announcing that they're launching the Model S and X. This is what people have been expecting, been looking forward to. And I had a hunch it would be at this earnings. So we're going to go ahead and take a look. I think Elon's going to explain more about what's involved and probably Tesla's going to update their website as well. All right. So let's go into this um, letter a bit more. And here it says, this past year was transformational for Tesla. Despite global challenges, we outpaced many trend trends seen elsewhere in the industry as we significantly increased volumes, profitability, and cash generation. For the full year 2020, we achieved an industry-leading 6.3% operating margin, despite an increase of stock-based compensation at 1.7 billion. Teams across our organization, including supply chain, manufacturing, logistics, and delivery, rose to the occasion to ensure strong execution. 
In addition, we continue to improve our products and make progress on our long-term roadmap. We ramp Model 3 in China to over 5,000 cars per week. That's like a $250,000 um, car run rate, annual run rate. And we started production on Model Y Gigafactory Shanghai, less than a year after breaking ground on the expansion. We also launched and ramped Model Y in Fremont in 2020. Yeah, 2020 has been awesome. You know, Model Y just went crazy. Um, Shanghai has been going just fabulously well, and Tesla is has every reason to be proud of what they've been doing. All right, in Berlin and Austin, we remain on track to start vehicle production this year with structural batteries, leveraging in-house battery cells. Our engineering team has made significant progress on full self-driving software with a limited release to customers. Finally, we are excited to ramp the updated Model S and X and deliver our first Tesla Semi by the end of this year. So it's a little disappointing. Tesla Semi, I was hoping it would be out this quarter. Um, they're saying they want to deliver the first Tesla Semi by the end of the year. So it's pushed back um, a bit. While 2020 was a critical year for Tesla, we believe 2021 will be even more important. Thank you for your trust and support and for being um, on this journey with us. All right. So um, here's what I want to do. Let's look at this financial summary here. So we have total revenue of $10.7 billion. So this is in line of my 10.5 to $11 billion expectation. Auto revenues come in at 9.3 of regulatory credits, 400 million. So if you notice the past four quarters has all been around $400 million regulatory credits. Um, the CFO, Zach Kierkorn has noted that it's a relatively stable income source. So we got um, automotive gross profit of 21%. Um, 24%. Um, this is going to be a bit lower without the regulatory credits. Um, and then you have gross profits and gross margin at about 19.2%. Um, yeah, it's a little bit um, trending down over time. I think this might be a little bit surprising for people. I think this is one of the reasons why um, we're seeing the lower gap profit numbers than expected. All right, we have operating um, expenses at 1.5 billion, which is in line with my expectations. And then income from operations at 575, that's fine. And you go down to gap is $270 million gap and non-gap is $900 million. All right. So, um, yeah, if you take this, if you go back to what is automotive gross margin without regulatory credits, if you minus the 400, you've got about eight nine billion dollars um this four is about four percent let's say three point eight three point maybe seven percent so yeah tesla's automotive automotive gross margins without regulatory credits is going to be you know maybe 20 point maybe three or four percent it's not as great as perhaps we were expecting or hoping for in tesla's case all right um here is again um financial summary. I want to go, um, and before we go any further, I want to go ahead and take a look at Tesla's um, guidance for 2021. And then I'll come back to view the rest of um, this shareholder letter. Okay, so here's Outlook. Let's see what's going on, what Tesla is saying. So introduction, given the number of significant products in the pipeline, we have simplified our approach for guidance, enabling teams to focus on achieving long-term goals. We are planning to grow our manufacturing capacity as quick as possible. Over a multi-year horizon, we expect to achieve 50% annual, uh, annual growth 
in vehicle deliveries. Okay, so Tesla has said that before. They're giving it in writing, which is good. In some years, we may grow faster, which is expected to be the case in 2021. The rate of growth will depend on equipment capacity, operational efficiency, and capacity and stability of the supply chain. All right, so we don't have exact numbers. All they're saying is Tesla will grow um, faster in 2021 than 50%. So we know if Tesla delivered 500,000 vehicles, Tesla is saying they're going to do at least 750,000 in 2021, but you know more than that. All right, we have sufficient liquidity to fund our product roadmap, long-term capacity expansion plans, and other expenses. So pretty generic stuff. We expect our operating margin will continue to grow over time, continuing to reach industry level leading levels with capacity expansion and localized plans underway. Lastly, we are currently building Model Y capacity at Gigafactory Berlin, Gigafactory Texas, and remain on track to start deliveries from each location in 2021. Okay, so no no month timeline, but just 2021. Gigafactory Shanghai will continue to expand further through the course of the year. Tesla Semi um, deliveries will also begin in 2021. All right, so so here's what's going on here. Tesla is, is giving guidance, but it's extremely vague. And Tesla is saying, hey, we're not gonna even give this year's guidance specifically in terms of unit of vehicles. We're just gonna say we're doing 50% annual growth averaged out over a multi-year horizon. And they're not really giving much specifics. They're not really saying how many vehicles. They're not saying exactly what month vehicle production will start in Berlin, what month vehicle production will start in, in Austin. And they're not really giving any other, you know, uh, guidance. This is this is actually crazy. They're not giving guidance for gross margins. They're not giving guidance for capex or anything. And this is pretty interesting because, um, actually, um, yeah, this is pretty interesting because what it's showing is Tesla is saying, "Hey, we're going to take a step back from giving specific guidance, and we're going to focus around a super long term fifty percent." right, compound annual growth rate, that's going to be the gist of our guidance. And I think this is going to be a little bit hard for Wall Street and some analysts and some investors to digest what Tesla is doing here. I think it's a bold move. Actually, I love the move personally. I always wished kind of Tesla would emphasize the longer term story more than kind of these quarterly and quarter, quarter, or even short term, let's say one year targets. I think the targets sometimes can backfire on them unless they're kind of conservative. But yeah, I think Tesla's done a good job. They've um, kind of alluded, you know, specific guidance, which is fine, but they're saying, hey, we're going to deliver at least 750,000 uh, vehicles this year, if not a lot more. All right, the stock is down $40 in aftermarket. Um, that's about 4.6%. So here's some perspective on the stock. A 4% move is almost nothing, right, for Tesla. And so in a, in a sense, this uh, reaction is quite muted. Um, and I think a large part of it is because the gap profit is lower than expected. The gross margins right, for auto is lower than, than expected. And so I think it's reasonable to see the stock drop a bit. Also, we didn't see the deferred tax um, allowance of $1.9 billion added. And so um, that was a letdown, but probably most people didn't even know about that. So we're gonna probably see that booked next quarter. That's my guess. I think there's probably 80%, if not higher chance we're going to see that booked in Q1. So anyways, um, I don't see anything majorly glaring um, uh, wrong with the with the, the earnings report so far. Um, the income is a little bit lower, 
and gross margin is a little bit lower. But we're going to dive into the shareholder letter a bit more right now and try to make um, sense of some of the, the other pieces. All right, so let's go back up here. Um, we looked at, okay, so here's the financial summary. So here we're going to get into some of the details um, of what's going on here. And it says total revenue grew 46% year over year. And that was achieved through substantial growth in vehicle deliveries. At the same time, average vehicle um, selling price declined 11% year over year as our product mix continued to shift from Model S and X to the more affordable Model 3 and Model Y. All right, from operating income, so let's take a look a little bit more into this. Um, yeah, 575 million, 5.4% operating margin is not that great, you know? Um, yeah, I was expecting um, actually significantly more than that. Um, and they did have, again, I mentioned the stock-based compensation plan. It's actually $267 million booked for Elon's um, plan. The positive impact of volume growth and regulatory credit revenue year-over-year year is mainly offset by lower um, average sales price. And um, yeah, and the quarter-end cash is $19.4 billion, as I said before, because of their $5 billion cap raise. Free cash flow of $1.9 billion. So not a ton of color here on what's going on with their finances um, besides what we already saw in their financial statement. So we have Model S and X production, Model 3 and uh, Y production, and total production is 180, deliveries is about 180. We kind of knew these numbers already. And Tesla, um, interestingly, just liquidated all of the Model S and Xs, right, just in the past few weeks. And so they're ready for the, the refresh. Solar deployed now is up. So this is actually cool. You have kind of this declining trend. Here's the low point in Q3 of 2020 with 27 megawatts de uh, deployed in solar. And now you have the uptick, right? So you have 86 megawatts, which is great. And now here's something I think that is fantastic. I think most people are gonna miss this. So check this out, storage deployed. If you notice, Tesla has a low point of 260 megawatt hours of storage deployed. So we're talking about power walls and mega packs and all this, but then it goes up to 419, 759, and then you have 1.58 gigawatt hours, right, of storage. So this is crazy. A doubling of energy storage deployed just in a quarter. Now, a lot of this can be kind of um, seasonal or actually um, it depends on the contracts for different larger projects. So it could be kind of bumpy. So it's not necessarily like a straight line, but this is actually fantastic to see. Um, Tesla actually, um, yeah, um, go up to to this to this level. All right, you have store locations and mobile fleet. Everything else, superchargers look um, fantastic. All right, let's look at um, vehicle capacity. Actually, um, yeah, um, actually, I want to do something here before we go on to the shareholder letter. I want to go ahead and check out Tesla's website to see if they've updated anything. Um, in terms of um, the Model S or Model X. Um, so here's, the, yeah, I don't see actually anything. The Actually, Plaid S and X are on the site. So that's what people are saying. So, um, oh, okay, so the Plaid, the Plaid is on the site right now for 118. I see, so you get, Interesting. So you get to have a zero to 60 uh, mile power in 1.99 seconds. Like what did Tesla do to get to 1.99 seconds? Impressive. 
three uh, drive units, so three motors and carbon sleeve rotors, torque vectoring. Okay, we got some cool wheels, interior. Oh, nice, the interior has changed. Um, do you see you've got this um, in a horizontal um, screen? That's exactly what I'm talking about. The Model S, it doesn't look that different to me. It looks slightly different, I guess. Um, those are pretty cool wheels. Yeah, this, oh my goodness, look at the steering wheel here. No way, they're really going to do that? This is like kind of a racing steering wheel. They're going to put that into the Model S Plaid. Amazing. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Oh yeah, look at this uh, center console too. Nice. Very, very nice. I think, yeah, they completely re they've completely redone the, um, the inside. Uh, full self-driving. Okay, so we've got the Model S. So I, what's going on with... Oh, here's long range. They still have the long range. Um, Model S as well, and I guess they, yeah, actually, that's great too. Um, you've got um, the Model S. Yeah, so, um, purchase price is eighty thousand for the for the long range, and this is great. Um, I think it's definitely going to boost sales. People are going to love it. A lot of people have been waiting for it. All right, let's check out. Um, Let's see what we could see in terms of the Model X now. So um, you have a friend, his name is Joe, and he just bought a Model X just a few a couple months ago. And I wonder if he regrets it. Um, but you know, who knows? Like sometimes the stuff, it happens. And um, you just live with it. And you're happy that you actually could afford a Model X, right? So $90,000 for the long range, 120000 for the, the Plaid. So you have 3.8 seconds for long range. What's the Plaid? Uh, 2.5 seconds for, for the Model X Plaid, okay? Now let's check this out. So, oh, let's, yeah, the wheels. Oh, Model X is like very, it's the same as the Model S. So you've got this nice screen here. you got the center console. you got the cool steering wheel um excellent yes um plaid is 341 miles the model s long range is 360 miles okay so you got the paint and the wheels self-driving capacity all of that looks great so yeah um overall um the model s and x refresh looks looks great you know it's what tesla it's it's tesla you know redoing their whole interior which is long overdated uh, long overdue and upping the specs and really you know making top of the line car so i expect tesla to get a boost this quarter if they can produce enough you know vehicles which you know they started kind of late um but now finally the model s and the x has the latest and the greatest technology i bet inside the car too and so this is going to give a whole new kind of reboosted vitality to the model s and x line uh, great job tesla i love how they also didn't leak it beforehand like it's amazing what it takes to to keep a leak from that like that from happening but tesla did a great job just all the Tesla employees just keeping their mouth shut to not osborne right their current existing products and so um yeah exciting times for tesla all right let's go back to the shareholder letter here the stock price is at 826 so we're still down about four five percent again not much and it's expected considering you know a little bit lower than um expected gap income all right so let's go ahead and um let's look at this vehicle capacity here 
Um, in Fremont, they're saying that they've, oh, they've upgraded over the past few weeks their Fremont factory to launch a new model S and X, right? So we know that they had downtime of what, 17 or 18 days, and that's when they upgraded. This includes a new powertrain, battery model, battery, battery modules, battery packs, drive units, and entirely, entirely new interior, exterior updates, and other improvements. Production will resume in Q1 and ramp back to full capacity over time. We also continue to increase model-wide production, including integration of the single-piece rear casting units to meet customer demand. So they're kind of forecasting model SNX production will ramp up rather slowly, or it won't resume to full capacity right away. And so because of that, we probably have to assume less production um, for Q1. All right, Shanghai. Shanghai has demonstrated the ability to sustain Model 3 production at or above a run rate of 250,000 vehicles. Model Y production started in late 2020 and is in the process of ramping to full capacity. Customer response continues to be strong, and they started shipping Model 3s from Shanghai to Europe and the APAC so this is great news too. Berlin and Brandenburg, right? Local production and deliveries made a key part of our growth strategy. While our total market share in Europe increased in 2020, Giga Berlin should enable significant increase in local deliveries, similar to what we saw after constructing Giga factory in Shanghai. Build out of our Berlin factory continues as planned and we already have started to move machinery into the building. So yeah, Tesla has high hopes for Berlin. It's gonna make the cars a lot cheaper to build, a lot cheaper to ship a lot cheaper to get into certain countries. So current installed capacity here, Fremont, you have 100,000 model S and X and 500,000 model 3 and Y. Then in Shanghai, you have 450,000, which is combination model 3 and Y. In construction is Berlin and Texas with the model Y and Cybertruck. And then to be announced are these products. I think Roadster, they should just push back. I mean, they are pushing back. But it's not that important, I think. I think Semi, you know, is definitely an important product here. Uh, global market share looks good. Now we have full self-driving updates. So now this is actually pretty cool stuff. So um, over the few past few months, we released multiple software updates. And with each iteration, the system is becoming more robust. And we continue to work on our Dojo supercomputer. If you don't know what that is, look up my video I did with James Dalma on what is the Dojo supercomputer used to train their neural nets. All right, um, yeah, here it says the computer is designed to process video data from our fleet and train our neural net work at an extremely fast pace. Okay, vehicle software, we released a holiday update, new games and horn sounds, that's fine. Battery and powertrain. While our model SNX battery uh, model, module architecture evolved over the past eight years, um, the, back, the pack and the modules have now been fully redesigned Cool. Additionally, we have incorporated we have incorporated model, model three and model Y motor technology throughout, as well as heat pump for winter range. These changes enable five times more high speed quarter mile runs than the prior ar architecture, while further improving energy efficiency. Good news. So model S and X gets the top of the line stuff. The performance versions were replaced by Plaid. All right. So you have a tri motor powertrain, and then you've got the fast six accelerating production car ever made, zero to 60 mile per hour time in less than two seconds, and a quarter mile time of under 9.3 seconds. So this is actually great news as well. All right, energy storage, what's going on? Um, how did Tesla increase their energy storage so much? Um, it says energy deployments grew substantially from 2019 to 2020. For the first time, battery deployments surpassed three gigawatts in a single year. 
It has almost like 1.6 gigawatts just in Q4, which is amazing. The growth is mainly driven by the popular popularity of the mega pack. So they're saying utility scale products are driving the growth. Power wall demand also continues to grow. And we're going to see further increases in supply in the next few months. And our energy storage business continues to be supply constrained as backlog remains strong. So they're saying demand is there. They just need to boost production. We are looking forward to increased capacity, both on manufacturing equipment side and supply chain side to allow us to continue to grow at a similar pace again in 2021. Yeah, so if they can, you know, almost double their um, energy deployments again in 2021, that'd be awesome. Solar retrofit and solar roof. In 2020, solar deployments increased by uh, 205 megawatt hours, megawatts, 18% more than the prior year. So not that great, but if you notice the past in Q4, Q3 and Q4, right, Tesla has been increasing their deployments. This growth is um, a result of the meaningful improvements to our solar retrofit strategy, including product simplification, cost reduction, industry-leading pricing. We have also made great progress growing our solar roof deployments as we have expanded the team while simultaneously improving installation Efficiencies, total energy storage deployments are going up, right, to three gigawatt hours um, gigawatt hours per year. So good stuff. I went over Outlook, and so we're going to look at some of the charts. So here is the Model S front. So you've got, let's check this out. So you've got the cool, um, yeah, kind of dash materials here. You've got this screen it looks maybe like a 15 inch. I wonder if it's the same size screen as the Model 3 and Model Y. Um, you've got most notably this crazy steering wheel here. And um, that would get that would take a bit to get used to for me. I don't know what I think about it. I, would, I hope they had an option. They could do either or. But I figure Tesla, they know what they're doing. So they picked the best stuff. And um, they customized probably all the different you know controls as well. All right, you've got nice handles here. You've got a cool, you've got this phone charger. So it's a double phone charger here. You've got some nice wood grain um, storage here, armrest, etc. You've got speakers over here. You've got the standard camera, large windshield. Yeah, it looks sweet. Looks like a clean car here. All right, let's, here's some rear, Model S rear interior. So you've got this fold down thing with cup holder and you've got this thing here. What is that? That like a monitor? Yeah, this looks like a game or something, right? It looks like something that they're watching. What's going on here? Hey, if you're in the live chat, tell me what what you guys think this is. Is this a a TV monitor? Is this some type of monitor out? Like, where is this content coming from? Is it coming from the Tesla, your phone? Um, that's pretty cool. That's interesting, actually. Um, all right, so what else do we have here? We've got some cool seats. I like the white seats a lot um, with grain, handles, you know, typical everything. So it looks, you know, it looks great as well. Model S plaid exterior. So you've got this, um, yeah, it looks pretty cool. You got a little extra stuff here. It looks a little sleek on the, on the back. Um, Gigafactory Shanghai, here's the Model Y die cast. Um, okay, so some people are saying, what is this thing, right? I, I ask people, what is this monitor? Some people are saying, it's another tablet. It's a third display. It looks like a tablet. It's a game. Um, second screen in their website, description of a third screen. 
So three screens with wireless gaming controller. Huh, so it's for entertainment. It's a video game console. Some people are saying, um, yeah, it's for entertainment. Robotaxi preview. Huh, that's pretty cool. I guess, yeah, it'd be cool in the back to have something um, to watch. Um, definitely a screen for Netflix and stuff. A TV monitor. Yeah, well, we know it's a monitor or something. I'm just curious, is this hooked up? Can you hook play your stuff from your phone? Like, can you airplay it? Or is it really just Tesla content? You know, is it because to have a purely entertainment screen, that's it's actually kind of new. You know, um, we've we've had you know a tab in the Tesla console, but we haven't had a pure entertainment screen. This is pretty interesting stuff. Um, yeah, so let's check out what people are talking about. Um, yeah, all right. Um, so there you go, and then the exterior model Y. Die casting, okay. Shanghai Model Y stamping. Yeah, you got this crazy stamping. If you ever get the chance, uh, definitely do a Fremont tour. If you could do a, a Nevada Gigafactory tour as well. I mean, this stuff is just amazing what Tesla's doing in person. It just changes your complete perspective on, on everything. All right, someone's asking, am I gonna live stream the call? Yes, I will try to live stream the call. Um, it's um, 3.30 Pacific time. And then after the live stream of the call, I will do, try to do another live stream where I share my kind of quick synopsis of the earnings call and what were the key points that I thought were important. All right, Shanghai, here we go. We have Model Y General Assembly. In Shanghai, here's the Shanghai Factory Model 3 factory in the foreground, Model Y factory in the background. Okay, I'm guessing the background is here and the foreground is here. And here's Berlin. Model Y factory, we are seeing it come together. Amazing stuff, guys. Um, and this is the interior of the Model Y, of the Berlin factory. It's huge. Yeah, I mean, I was able to take a tour of the Giga uh, factory in Nevada while it was still under construction, kind of. Well, it was, kind of, part of it was finished, but just to walk through these, like, these places, it's just so crazy, like football fields, you know, long. Um, Giga... Uh, Berlin Model Y factory interior is looking good. Texas, all right. I, I need to head out to this place, man. Um, yeah, before it gets too late, but it's uh, I'm pretty close here. All right, key metrics uh, deliveries are up, operating cash flow and free cash flow are up, and net income is definitely going up for Tesla, even though this past Q4, you know, it kind of dropped. And yeah, I think that's the main reason for the drop in the share price. Um, okay, here are the trailing 12 months of deliveries, cash flow, and net income as well. And then financial statements, we went over most of these already. The balance sheet, you have about $19.4 billion in, in cash. The reconciliation statements and information. All right, so All right, so um, yeah, that was uh, Tesla's earnings. And what I'm curious uh, most of all is in the earnings call, I wanna, I wanna kinda gauge a sense of how confident uh, Elon and Zach are for uh, 2021. What are gonna be their challenges? One of the concerns is maybe they didn't give a unit delivery guidance because 
they didn't know exactly how the 4680 cell production would go, how Austin and Berlin exactly would come online, how much, how many vehicles they could produce. Same thing with Cybertruck. There's a lot of unknowns. <clears throat> and so,、um, yeah, I want to see how, really how far along they are in terms of production、um, ramp、um, with their cells and their factories. That's、um, a big thing. Overall,、um, yeah, it was a bit、um, surprising to see their gap profit actually. Um, a bit lower than expected to see their gross margins a bit lower. To me, you know, it's, it's one of those things. Tesla has this thing where they can, they have certain levers to do. And one of the things they can lower their prices, increase demand, but that hurts their operating margin. I think that's one of the, the, the stories that going on here.、Um, because Tesla doesn't use. Paid advertising, they kind of have to rely more on certain price reductions over time to increase demand. <clears throat> and initially, that will hurt the gross margin more because they're eating into that gross profits. But over time, Tesla gets more efficiency, get, they get more economies of scale. Therefore, their, their margins grow and then they do another price cut. So it's something like this the margins will grow and Tesla cuts the price. Elon says, cut it by $2,000, and then the margins shrink for a quarter or two. And the margins grow, grow back up because Tesla gets better, they sell more, et cetera. And then Elon says, cut it by another $2,000, right? And then you've got, boom, the gross margins you know, cut down. And then you see the profit being affected too. And so while if you are just looking at profit, And the short term, you might be saying, huh, I don't know. But if you're looking at the bigger story, Tesla is using the, the lower price and is reducing their gross profits intentionally to grow market share, right? And they want to sell every car that they produce、uh, quickly, right? They can't afford to keep cars in their factories or in their parking lots for six months at a time. And、um, yeah, so in that regard, I think there's, there's, A way to understand Tesla's business model where you don't get freaked out by, let's say, slightly lower gross margins or slightly lower gap profit.、Um, I'm going to go ahead and check out the live stream here. <clears throat> and、um, yeah, some people、uh, are asking for me to comment on GameStop. So yeah, man, some people are like, who cares about Tesla? It's all about GameStop or AMC. And so I've been getting into this a bit actually the past few days. Trying to understand、um, what's going on here with GameStop and other stocks、um, from Reddit's Wall Street、uh, bets. And yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not, a, well, I'm not a GameStop expert, so I'm not going to say one way or the other.、Um, I am, though, wanting to, to take advantage of certain short term anomalies. And so, you know, if a stock is underpriced, I will try to get in. And if a stock is overpriced, maybe I'll try to find a way to. To, to profit and to of the overpriceness. And whether GameStop is overpriced now,、um, I don't know. But I did do、um, a, sh- a short uh, uh, call spread on GameStop, anticipating GameStop will be under $300 by the end of Friday this week.、Um, it's not a large position,、um, just gaining a few thousand dollars on it. But I, I, I did that and I tweeted about it just as a kind of fun thing. So it's not a big deal. I'm just kind of. You know, practicing, trying to figure out what I could do to, to be on both sides of certain trades. I'm really not、um, focused on short term training, but w- throughout my conversations with Emmett Peppers, I'm learning more,、um, I'm getting some ideas. 
and starting to implement uh, some of my ideas in different ways, kind of coming up with my own um, strategy with, with, with stuff. All right. Um, um, Chong Nguyen says, okay, let's, let's do some of this stuff here. Um, uh, says, uh, Dave, did you buy, I guess, um, puts on GameStop? No, I didn't buy puts. The puts on GameStop are crazy. You know, the, the, the option premiums, like, I don't know how you can make money off these puts. Um, unless, yeah, I mean, you could if they follow your direction, but the premiums are crazy. Um, that was one of my things. I wanted to figure out a way how I could um, bet not using um, pre uh, puts and get into more spreads and stuff. So anyways, that's for another video and stuff. So it's not a huge position. All right, Dave Lee on investing. So um, what will Tesla do with this $20 billion in cash? What new investments? And um, are, or are they fearing losses? So actually, let me move this stock thing ticker over. So we're gonna refresh the stock ticker. <clears throat> We're at $835 after market hours. So yeah, Tesla with their $20 billion, um, I think there's a few things. One is in case of a global macro event or some catastrophe or let's say one of the factories shuts down or a key supplier um, is interrupted through because of some reason and they have to stop, stop production, let's say for three to six months, Tesla can have that strong $20 billion in cash and it won't hurt them that much, right? So there are a ton of factors and complexity with Tesla. Tesla, I think, is smart to raise this cash and it also makes them aggressive in terms of possible acquisitions, possible new investments into factories, new investments into technologies, pushing the envelope with both batteries and autonomy. So Tesla basically can go full speed without trying to be conservative. They don't have to, you know, be so cautious with cutting costs and they can hire the best people they can. So all of these things, I'm not anticipating Tesla to do something big with the 20 billion per se, but who knows, Elon always is thinking big. So, um, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So who knows what will, um, happen with Elon. Um, yeah, Stingy Fortnite says selling cars calls a super risky daily act. So, so it's a call spread. So you you basically sell the the lower call and you buy the higher call. So your risk is is defined. So you don't have you're not risking that much if you could do a spread. Um, anyways, for those who aren't into options, you can pass this. But there are ways to play options where you don't get as much upside, but you cut the upside and you cut the risk by you know selling a lower call, buying a higher call. Um, it's a way to it's a way to short a stock without really shorting it because the puts are, are the premiums are too high for certain stocks. Let's say like a GameStop, GameStop. All right, um, yeah. Code Monkey Charlie says right puts when premiums are crazy, Dave. Yeah, this also. I mean, that's that's another option, but that's the other thing. Um, you can get burned by um, writing puts uh, because you're. Yeah, you don't have cap losses in a sense, and and I like to know exactly what my risks are going into every um, every position. All right, Marcos Fernandez says, "What camera are you using?" I'm using a, a Sony A7S III. Um, just started using it a couple months ago. All right, Dave, I made a lot um, on Bio Nano, and I have a. I've left the rest under a dollar for long. Yeah, BioNano, um, definitely interesting company. I've been looking into them a bit. And um, 
Yeah, there's a there's a thing. Um, if you're a hustler and you you research a lot and you try to find the best even faster and earlier, there's some advantages. Um, all right, Stingy Formula says, "Why would you sell naked call? I don't sell naked calls. Again, again, I'm selling the call and I'm buying the the call above, a few strikes above. And so, um, yeah, <laughs> maybe I should actually explain it more fully. Um, perhaps in another another video. This is more of a Tesla video. It's like people's uh, attention has completely shifted to um, to AMC rather than Tesla." Um, all right, so let's do a few more comments here. All right, Jeffrey Lin, what is your price prediction for Tesla at the end of 2021? Thanks for all your work. Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> this is a tough one, man, because it really is percentage-wise, meaning I think there's a decent percentage that we do see Tesla a decent amount higher than that. But then let's say, you know, I'm, I'm rather bullish. That's why I'm not selling a, a much Tesla stock right now. Um, I think there's a lot of stuff going forward, but I don't think it's a clear uh, no-brainer that Tesla's going to go up significantly this year. I think there's a decent risk, 20%, 30%. Who knows? It depends. Week by week, it changes that percentage. But a Tesla does encounter, let's say, a, a bigger global macro environment, let's say stock market um, correction or something that drops Tesla's um, stock price. So always keep that in mind. If you go back a year ago in December or January of this past year it was for me it was so clear probably 95 percent probability that tesla goes much higher because of all of the pent-up demand uh, for the stock all of the milestones that tesla is going to hit so it's a different scenario we're looking at tesla you know entering last year at 400 dollars uh, pre-split now it's at like 40 for four thousand something dollars right um a year later and so there is that you know element where where Tesla has run up a lot. But again, um, there's this one video I did called the Tesla exit plan. I said, hey, if you have a generational company, and this is my own personal philosophy, that is executing, has the best in-class product, is growing, and has still potential to, to, to grow their valuation. I did 10x over five to 10 years. I'm still kind of using that, but based off of little numbers in the past. But my whole thing is, hey, that type of company, I don't want to sell that much right and every year i'll sell a certain percent small percent to 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 use for different purposes but overall i'm holding the vast majority of that position that was back in february or so of last year and it's one of the the ideas and concepts i've used to hold um tesla over time um there could be a time where where you know i could uh, liquidate more of tesla um if I'm confident I can find, or I know of some better investments. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm constantly also looking out for new stuff. Um, and I, yeah, I was buying a um, stock this morning in a different company, doing some research um, from some people. Yeah, just um, last night on, a, on an interesting, small, very, very small cap company. But anyways, um, all right, Cedric Day says, hey, Dave, Tesla has a lot of cash. This isn't good with inflation, right? Yeah, I think um, the, the whole point of cash is for extreme security. So I think it's fine. It doesn't matter, in my opinion, regarding inflation for Tesla. Tesla needs cash. They need the most liquid asset available um, for what the purpose is, right, to for stability in times of crazy, just something blows up, right? Um, Tesla needs this cash. Um, Levin Crete says, 
what risks do you see with monopoly issues long-term, especially with ride hailing? Um, yeah, I think I don't have that much, that many concerns with monopoly issues long-term with Tesla. And here's why. Elon has such a strong focus and value on innovation and competition. He's not trying to corner the market. That's the whole thing of my pat our patents are your patents, just you know, borrow our ideas, let's move everything forward. And that type of ethos and that type of philosophy really is actually anti-monopolistic. And so with someone like, and usually you don't have someone like that. Usually you have someone at the helm of a company, let's say like a Bill Gates or whoever, who is very, very competitive and really wants to, let's say, crush the competition and wants every advantage they have to corner the market. But that's really antithetical to Elon's perspective. Elon's perspective is, A, the mission is greater than our company. And so let's further the mission. Our company will further the mission as well by trying to be the most innovative, but we're not going to try to do it at the expense of other companies. And I think because of that, Tesla of any other company out there has probably the most potential to grow the biggest without monopoly kind of issues, anti-monopoly legislation against them. Some people have said, hey, with uh, X holding company, uh, Tesla is going to have issues in Europe, et cetera. You see, you have to realize these regulatory bodies are all congregating and their focus is to stop anti-competitive behaviors. However, if you look at Tesla and what Elon is doing, he's all about promoting competitive behaviors. Actually, not just competitive, he wants to help people out. And so um, that type of attitude is priceless, right? And this is one of the reasons why I think Tesla yeah, is, is a lot different than, um, than others. Um, Jamin Patel says, don't do spreads. You can get assigned shares when you don't want it. Let me go against you. Actually, yeah, I, I, I understand spreads um, and uh, there are some risks, but you got, I mean, again, um, yeah, I'll leave it to those um, people, but actually uh, doing certain call spreads um, actually can reduce risk a lot. And so, um, yeah. Okay, um, will you chat with Emmett about GME? Wonder if he bought calls. Yeah, I just talked to him actually, or chatted with him yesterday. He's kind of, as of last night, he's saying he's just watching kind of what's happening and we're, we're kind of sharing some, some ideas of just the dynamics of what's going on. I think it's quite fascinating uh, to see the whole internet get behind something and the mania and different thoughts going on. Um, and yeah, I think there's, and it's one of the reasons why I'm open to to looking into into being what's going on. I don't want to completely discount stuff. Um, and plus, who knows? You know, I could change switch my position anytime. Um, the Don says, uh, "What are you going to do with your Tesla? I guess my Tesla stock, and or will you never sell?" Yeah, I'm not a person that says I will never sell. I'm not that kind of boxed in. Um, my whole philosophy is is largely it goes through Elon Musk, meaning I feel Elon can give outsized gains through his ability to create new markets and grow new markets with um, innovative, revolutionary products. And so, as long as Elon is at the helm, I think Tesla's growth, you know, can continue at a, a very uh, fast pace. Without Elon, my investment philosophy or attitude toward Tesla does change significantly. Um, all right, Marcus Keller, what is your current view on Lemonade? Yes, so um, Lemonade, um, I haven't sold any shares, but I haven't picked up any shares in the past 
a couple months. I established my position. You know, my cost basis is like $54. I felt good about it at that time. And it was a long-term hold for me. I wasn't planning on, on trading or selling. You know, I wanted to hold that position for a long time. Um, nothing has really changed my position too drastically. Um, Lemonade has come up with life insurance and I looked over it. I liked how they implemented it. Some people criticize it for their partnering with another life insurance company, but I actually think that's smart. A lot of the things that people think that Lemonade is not doing right, I actually think it, they're doing a smart job with it. Um, and um, I wasn't completely happy though with with some stock sales uh, from their um, other co-founder. And um, it, it wasn't a huge amount. They're not like liquidating 50% of their portfolio, but a little bit more than what um, I would be ideal with. But um, otherwise, I, I'm still long-term bullish with Lemonade. If you guys have any information one way or the other, just reach out to me. All right. Um, all right. So... Um, All right, Derek Loftus says, um, when do you think we could see another Tesla split? You know, I was a big proponent of the Tesla split. I was probably one of the first people actually tweeted about it. I made a video about how Tesla should do a 10 to one split. And I didn't see really anyone or many people talking about it at that time. Just And now though, I feel like I'm not really excited about a Tesla split personally. I think they could do it, but um, it's kind of moot. At that time, I thought it was important or an interesting idea because I felt Tesla had a huge runway and it was already kind of in the thousands and I felt it was a good time to do for do a 10 for one split. That was my suggestion. Um, but yeah, we'll, we could see a split, but yeah, I think it's best if Tesla waits for another year or two, actually, personally. All right, Milton Martin says, what do you mean by not selling much Tesla stock? Um, yeah, I mean, my position, my my uh, situation is it's probably a little different. I went all in um, 2013 and 14 and 15 and um, overextended myself, had to take out margin actually to exercise leaps into shares. And so ever since that time, I've been kind of pulling, getting back to a more reasonable position uh, of what a stock portfolio like maybe 95% or hundred or something looks like for Tesla. So that's all it means. I, I, I sell some, you know, every year to, for different expenses, uh, purchasing stuff, investing in some other stuffs, but I, I try to keep the vast majority um, in Tesla, at least up until now. Um, what are you most excited about in the stock market over the next decade? Um, yeah, I think uh, what I'm most excited about is is kind of these longer term disruptive moves from companies that are really shifting and changing things on a, on a large scale, um, <clears throat> combined with the opportunity to try to get into that company at an early you know, valuation. Uh, some companies are going to be more like a sure thing. I don't want to say sure thing, but rather confident thing. But you have to combine that with opportunity to get in early. Like one example is I've been very bullish on a company called Stripe and their ability to not just provide um, API, credit card transaction ability to websites and developers, but they're recreating the entire banking experience through APIs and opening it up to anyone basically to start a bank basically. 
not just doing that, but they're doing analytics to help with business operations, to help people understand their operations. I think Stripe has potential to become a trillion dollar company um, within 10 years, maybe 15 years or so. But the challenge is how do you get into a company like that early on to make it worth it? You, like if you get into a company like that and they IPO at $300 billion, you don't have as much of a exponential multiplication of your investment as if you got in when the company was valued at $10 billion or $50 billion even. And so um, yeah, it's one of the frustrating things. Like I, I know not... Most people aren't accredited investors, but even with accredited, accredited investors, it's extremely difficult to get into the right companies, the private companies, because they don't have any availability. And a lot of these companies stop actually access to their employees from selling their private shares either. And so um, I look for those type of opportunities, kind of like the ones that I think are significantly amazing, disruptive opportunities. Another opportunity is Starlink that I've been talking about amazing opportunity i think uh, spacex is extremely undervalued but again how do you get into a company like that um at a reasonable early valuation um all right come in for your soup says hey when are you having that street fighter showdown with emmett yeah it's like um we'll see how, i mean how can i do that um yeah um let me know like how to do like I guess I guess I guess we play them. I have to practice. I mean, I have to play. I guess on the computer. I'm, I'm like an old school, you know, arcade console game person with Street Fighter Two. I don't even know if you'll feel the same. Actually, to tell you the truth, playing on. Um, um, Andrew Chu says, "What are the most interesting, highest quality products you've come across recently?" Um, yeah, um, I have to think about this. My wife did kind of a uh, insurance quote for lemonade yesterday on a house and she thought it was a great experience the problem with it is she had to call another agent to go over some qu questions even though lemonade like called her and she went over stuff it was it wasn't a clear like um a clear choice for her and that's a bit concerning like I, i'm and i think over time the probability and likelihood i think lemonade would get more compelling in its usage as they get more reputation and more trust. Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, in terms of products, I'm not sure. I mean, I've, I've got this, my, some of my favorite products I've purchased recently are like Apple products. I've got this iPad Pro I, I like a lot. I've got this MacBook M1 product I like a lot. I like the AirPods, you know, Pro. And so, um, but I'm not very, you know, hot on Apple because I think the, the multiplying exponential growth of Apple's uh, stock is probably um, isn't um, what I'm looking for in the current. But anyways, yeah, if you guys have any uh, awesome products that you're dying, that you think are just amazing, let me know, man. I'll try it out too. I'm always a game for trying out new stuff. Um, Kevin Fallon says, any earning reports you're looking at from Tesla competitors? Yeah, I mean, Tesla competitors... I'm not really interested in because I feel like there's lots of talk in terms of all of the major OEMs. I don't feel like they have the essence, the core of what it takes to compete against a software manufacturing and cell, you know, battery giant like Tesla. Um, I think I am interested more actually in some of the, the Chinese companies and the, the companies out there like Neo Xpeng, CATL and some others. And so, um, 
Yeah, I'm actually very interested in in the battery supply chain as well. I think the people who are making the different products and different parts of the supply chains, um, I think that's a fascinating area to to look into and to and to uh, do a deep dive on. Um, Yeah, the Don says, how do you research such small cap, high potential companies? Make a video about this, please. Yeah, I mean, someone, you know, DM me said, hey, they have a, a stock that they thought could do a 10x or 20x. And I said, uh, what is it? And he's like, okay, don't tell anyone for two or three weeks. I guess they want to do something with this. Like, okay. And I chatted with him. And I usually, nine, actually, 95%. The t more than that stock tips like i don't i get discouraged because it's some biotech company where they are relying on some cure and the person pitching the stock tip doesn't really understand the the technology they're not in the biotech field they don't understand like they're just guessing hoping that some miracle cure you know gets whatever and it's like hit or miss thing i i don't know how i can rely on that to really make some big bets right um but this guy who pitched actually a stock pick yesterday through Twitter DM, I'm like, I actually was, what, the first thing I do is I look through their annual reports, right? And then I'll look through their financial, I'll look through any investor presentations, I'll look through the market that they're in, their competitors, I'll ask questions, I'll look at CEO interviews, I'll do this like first thing. So the first few hours I'm diving into really trying to get an understanding. And after a few hours, I'll have a general sense of, hey, whoa, man, this company is surprising to me or man, this company is kind of like whatever, right? And depending on that, I will double down on my research, maybe buy some along the way, or, you know, I'll just move on. And so that's kind of the process. I'll also ask some people, you know, I had to like ask uh, a battery expert I know about, about some stuff and about other things. And so you know, that's part of my process of is asking people um, who might know more information, trying to understand some of the concepts um, that are behind this. Okay. Um, All right, um, <laughs> William Lepofsky says, um, will you sell um, some Tesla for Starlink? So actually, this is actually a big dilemma because I don't have a lot of cash on hand. So I have Tesla shares, that's the vast majority of my portfolio, 90, 98% or something crazy is Tesla. And so um, to get into Starlink, I need to get into SpaceX, but to get into SpaceX, I need if I want to get a decent position, a position of of significance, let's say at least five or ten percent of what my Tesla shareholding sharehold uh, Tesla holdings are, I need to sell my Tesla, or I can borrow, but I don't really want to borrow that much, so I could sell my Tesla, but it's opportunity cost because I still am a big believer in Tesla. I'm missing out on this publicly traded, highly liquid stock that has amazing potential. There's a lot of benefit to actually having a public stock. It's almost like cash. You can borrow against it, a bunch of stuff. But I'm, if I sell that, I have, to, I have to incur tax gains and then switch it over to a privately held stock, which is more uh, e-liquid in some ways. I can't borrow against it. It's something, you know, it's a stash and hold type of play until I guess Starlink IPOs and I get some shares of that. But it's something that, yeah, I have to, um, I've been struggling with actually this past year. You know, I've had opportunities to get into SpaceX various points of last year. And I passed on a few because I felt like Tesla still had some more 
fast run up before I could, you know, take some into SpaceX. So that's kind of、um, my thought process right now with getting into Starlink or SpaceX. Um, Angel Child XX, Dave. Honestly, Tesla, you should just hold and wait for dividends. Yeah, like I totally know what you're saying because,、um, yeah, I, I, I see the day. You know, the most likely scenario is Tesla、um, does reach amazing things and continues to grow their、um, their cash, their ability to generate cash. And eventually give dividends, and I've calculated out. Yes, Tesla. If they do very well, they can give massive dividends.、Um, it's definitely an option.、Um, I'm debating kind of my own investment philosophy. If that's the case, it kind of goes more into a, a sort of wealth preservation phase, which I don't really know if I want to get in there. I kind of am tempted just to stay in this pursuit. And accumulation exponential growth phase, and that might require me to continue to look for opportunities.、Uh, Kyle Kwan says, "What do you think about SoFi?" So SoFi, I did an initial round of of research on SoFi.、Um, I actually was kind of impressed by generally the the idea of the company. So I was impressed by the different things they offer, even though they partner with. Lots of companies for some of the things, but the idea of a one-stop shop, kind of like this bank, all these different services. I like that. I like their growth, etc. There's a lot of positive things with SoFi.、Um, the one of the concerns with SoFi I had was I didn't really feel a felt need, this strong value proposition for me for myself to to get into SoFi and to want to open an account. You know, like. Yeah, I, I can understand the student loan angle. I can understand some other angles, but like, what is that kind of, you know, a、hey, this is no brainer, and I need to set up a SoFi account or else no one offers what SoFi offers. I mean, it's not as clear to me as what I think it could be.、Um, Lemonade's thing is like cheap renters insurance. Now, whether or not they're able to cross apply that advantage to homeowners and life insurance, etc., is yet to be seen. Um, a firm is another kind of financial services company, and they're kind of smart, and their value proposition is much more straightforward. A, pay off, you know, big purchases over time. It's kind of like this credit card type of concept, and it's so more, it's it's so clear. And when I look at SoFi, I'm like, what is that clear thing, you know? And so, yeah, that's one of the question marks I have with SoFi. I do have a position、um, with SoFi. It's not very large, but. Um, yeah, it's one of the companies that I've been researching as well.、Um, are you holding on to QuantumScape? No, I I I sold QuantumScape a while back. I just did a quick trade.、Um, Cedric says, "Do you have any place where you learn stuff, or is it all split?" Yeah, it's mostly split. I I try to focus.、Um, A lot of my attention on the company stuff, so company presentations,、um, retailroadshow.com,、um, or I think that's the site. But that site is an amazing site with retail、um, IPO roadshow videos. And after the, the the IPO, they take off the site. So, like they had a great video on SoFi. They had a great, actually not SoFi. They had a great video on a firm, which is was awesome. They have great videos on. Uber, DoorDash, when they IPO, all these companies, it really gives you a great sense of the company. So I, you know, that's one thing. Like the annual reports, their S one filings. I'm always, you know, reading stuff,、um, 
CEO interviews, all this stuff. I think that's personally, that's the, the most, um, yeah, important stuff. All right, Palantar. So people have been asking me about Palantar. So this is another company that um, it's extremely helpful to to dive into their company presentations. So they've had some uh, investor. If you look at one of the best videos on Palantar is their investor um, video, kind of the IPO video presentation. Um, fantastic video, kind of shares kind of the whole story of Palantir, what their business model is, what their advantage is, um, their ethos, um, what they're trying to do. And, you know, I'm not going to bet against, you know, a company like Palantir, especially with the founder and management they have. And once you carve out a, a niche like Palantir and you're able to execute on that niche, especially in a world of software and in a world of AI, um, yeah, the, like the market is, is ripe. And so I don't have, I personally don't have a position on Palantir right now. Um, and there's some issues where I don't particularly like the, some of the fields that they are in with how they use data um, and collecting data. And um, yeah, so, I mean, it, it's something I have some tension with, but um, yeah, I, I currently don't have a position, but who knows? We'll see. I'm always open. I'm always looking for new opportunities too. I'm also looking for um, outsized opportunities. Companies are, are extremely undervalued. That's one of my focuses. And some, sometimes I just have to pass on a, a good company. Like there's some companies where it's just like, hey, this is a pretty good company, but I just will pass because I'm looking for that, you know, perhaps that great company that um, I am uh, really excited by. Are you buying AMC? You know, I bought some AMC this morning and I sold it for a loss and it's like, this crazy, you know? Um, yeah, it's, I wanted to be part, I wanted to learn about, I want to be part of what's going on to, at, for a learning experience to understand people's psychology, understand what's in the market. So yeah, I'm actually quite into some of this stuff. Um, the past, yeah, last night I was, I was just reading up on all this stuff on um, what's going on with AMC and GME. Um, what else are you invested in, Dave? So, um, yeah, I mean, I have quite a, you know, like most of my portfolio is in Tesla. I do have about maybe 15 or 20 other stock positions that are relatively small. Some are larger. Um, my second largest position is Lemonade. Again, cost basis though is in the 50s. And I do have um, different positions. I do have some positions in some Chinese companies, um, mostly internet and video streaming companies. I do have some positions in some more tech companies like Cloudflare and Fiverr um, that I've held for, for a decent amount of time. Um, and then I do have some other positions um, in yeah, just various, actually companies that I'm kind of researching. I thought there, was, there could be some potential, so I bought some, might be holding, not undecided on it. So, um, yeah, if you're interested, let me know. I could maybe just do a, a video on some of my other positions, but they're not that large because I kind of am more of a conviction person. I want to be very, very convicted to get a, a large position. Um, Insidious Media UK says uh, Stripe over S, uh, Square. Yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah, Stripe, 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 man. I mean, I, I'm actually, like, here's the thing. Square is a great company. Right? But you don't get a generational company very often. Right? You don't get a Tesla, a SpaceX, a Stripe. 
you don't get the companies that you know are on that level very often. Um, but the chances are Stripe will IPO at a crazy valuation, so it won't be the the opportunity that we could have had if they IPO'd earlier. Um, I just trace as PSTH equals Stripe. So yeah, it's so crazy that there's still this conspiracy, or honestly conspiracy, this theory that this back PSTH is going to become Stripe or merge with Stripe, et cetera, go IPO. And even the, the founder, the CEO of Stripe, totally like on Twitter said, this is not gonna happen, it's not the case, but yet people still, you know, believe what they want to believe and that's like this is the internet today you know it's like people can believe whatever sometimes they're right though that's the thing sometimes they're right and it actually works but a lot of times um, they're wrong um, any thoughts on Airbnb so um, yeah Airbnb fascinating company man I mean I really actually did a lot of research um, during their IPO and I was disappointed that it IPO'd so high at around 150 and it hasn't really come down much. Um, I was going to be a buyer at under 100 or so. Um, Airbnb is one of those companies, um, yeah, great name, great network effects. I'm not completely sure they're really in the same category as what I would consider world-class executing companies, but because they have such a strong network effect, um, I'd love to, to, to pick up a position on Airbnb. I was actually considering buying some during there before they went public, like a few months before in the private markets. But um, yeah, um, there are certain companies in a big market downturn or correction I <coughs> would be looking at. And I think Airbnb might be one of those. What are the biggest risks, risks for Tesla in 2021? I, I think the biggest risks are kind of a little bit what's a little, tiny bit foreshadowed in the shareholder letter, which is there's so many moving pieces. You have the 4680 cells, you have Austin, you have Berlin factories running up, you have the Cybertruck semi, all this stuff. They're all dependent on each other, like on the cell production, on the factories, etc. So it's hard to know exactly when production will ramp, when they'll get started, when they'll be able to get to full capacity, what their 2021 production really looks like. And because of that, we could see different things happening and that's the biggest risk i think in 2021 is 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 kind of this i this concept of tesla could you know deliver 850 900,000 vehicles or they could deliver 750 to 800,000 and they could you know, be have some difficulties with Cybertruck with 4680 cells, or they could not. And this is going to radically change how many vehicles they could deliver. And so that's just one thing I'm looking out for in 2021. Um, yeah, Shearing says, yeah, Tesla would still be unprofitable without the regulatory credits. How concerning is that? It's not very concerning. Um, so yeah, their gap income wasn't as great a, as, as expected. Um, but again, they had almost $300 million in Elon Musk's CEO compensation plan that's had to be recognized. So without that, you know, that's close to what, 500 million, that's greater than their 400 million reg regulatory credits. So even without regulatory credits, right, the Elon Musk CEO compensation plan is just extremely high this quarter and last quarter, but next, starting next quarter will be lower. So I'm not too concerned. Also, Tesla going forward, they're increasing their revenue. Again, it's operating leverage coming into play where they're going to get more profit. Um, again, they could cut their margins and cut their prices and try to pass it on to their to their end um, 
consumer, but still, I think it's in Tesla's um, Tesla's position. They could they could do things like that because um, they're able to um, drive down um, the costs or make more profit. Jonas uh, Salinas says, "Do you think Tesla will license the full self driving technology to other automakers?" Um, you know, I initially I thought Tesla shouldn't and wouldn't license powertrain or their full self-driving but more recently i've been thinking you know it might be a a a decent thing to do um for tesla if they can make if they can find an arrangement and a business model that works for both sides um again it's not it's it's because elon's ethos is for the mission it's like what's going to be best for the mission to accelerate the world transition to sustainable energy is licensing this technology going to be beneficial for that it's possible it could um, i'm open to it we'll see i mean a lot of it is is on um elon's kind of how he sees it and i trust him that he will make a decent decision and if he makes a mistake he usually is able to pivot and to correct that mistake so i'm pretty confident with that kyle says do you hold any genomic stocks i own a few genomic stocks like CRISPR, Invitae, I still own Illumina, even though I was planning on selling them. But I did kind of own my own personal kind of deep dive on some of the CRISPR technologies, the genomic stocks um, earlier last year. I personally couldn't find that breakout kind of winner I was looking for, but um, I'm still open. I would love to do kind of another round myself into this. Um, if you know any breakout stocks that you're convinced of, yeah, hit me up. Uh, DM me on Twitter, give me a pitch, uh, let me know what you're thinking about. All right, what are your thoughts on Neo? Yeah, I mean, here's okay, here's my thoughts on Neo. I think um Neo and Xpeng and companies that are in China, you have to recognize that this is a different culture, a different language, a different regulatory regime, different market, etc. Therefore, there are additional risks to that. So, therefore, um, I don't ha- own Neo or Xpeng, but if I did, I would I would factor in those risks into the the proportion of my portfolio that I would put into those stocks. Meaning, I would handicap the proportion in some ways because of the added you know, China slash different language, different culture, different regime risk. Um, so I wouldn't take, let's say, a, an aggressive position because of those added risks personally for myself, unless it was in a trading account where there was certain catalysts where I was trading something, you know, um, seeing it go up big. But yeah, I think um, uh, NEO and XPeng, you can't discount because they've got government support and if the government wants to something to happen, if they want to will something to happen, like a Chinese EV automaker to become big, then... China government gets their way, right? This is not um, like another co- different country in the world. This is a unique situation. And so um, there are a lot of things that that these companies have advantages over. And as long as they can execute on their own as well, right, they get a boost from the government, um, you're going to see some interesting things. But yeah, definitely um, stuff. Jeremy Scudder says, I'm interested in Roblox. Are you considering opening a position? What is your strategy for the direct listing? I need to see the price. I was kind of bummed out because I did this deep dive on Roblox. I like the company. It all came down to valuation. And again, here's the, one of the things is, is you could have gotten into Roblox in the private market. If as an accredited investor several months before at a really low valuation, but then 
They try to go IPO, they cancel it because everyone else's IPO is doubling, so they want to get a better price. They do a financing round, I think it was at $29 billion, and now they're going to do direct listing, but now you're going to have Roblox you know, be valued at $30, $40 billion, which is like, like that stuff matters to me because if I can get in at $10 or $15 billion and Roblox goes to 100, that's like a 6x to a 10x. If I get in at $40 billion, it goes to $100 billion, that's only a 2.5x. So this is like big difference to me. This matters a lot to how I calculate risk and reward with these investments. So yeah, sometimes like getting, having these companies go IPO late, it reduces that ability to really get those exponential gains. And so I might need to adjust my strategy. I have to go either, you know, sometimes you have to look for maybe that really amazing company, that extra amazing company, or maybe there's something where, you know, if there's an undervalued time where there's going to be like a breakout maybe i'll leverage up like with some leaps or something who knows i have no idea i need to see the whole uh direct listing the pricing and everything going on um, but i may take some position actually because um i think long-term roblox has a definitely interesting uh, business model All right, Teladoc is also a generational company. Yeah, you know, I've looked into Teladoc a little bit, not as much as I um, as I should. I probably need to do a, a, a bigger deep dive. Um, generational company, um, maybe. I mean, yeah, if you if you believe so, hit me up. Uh, tell me your story of why you think. I'd love to hear hear you guys. Okay, how long until the earnings call? The earnings call um, is in one hour. So I'll probably wrap up this um, this call pretty soon, about five or 10 minutes. I'll go ahead, come back for a live stream of the earnings call. It'll just be the earnings call. And right after the earnings call, I'll kind of stop the video. I'll do a new live stream right after, giving kind of my thoughts on the synopsis, the key points, that, um, the takeaways from the earnings call. Um, Don DeSando says, uh, lead the charge in enabling pooling of small retail investors who wish to invest in SpaceX. You know, actually, I'm open to that. There's some regulatory things where you do need to be accredited, but the biggest thing is SpaceX is not releasing the shares to people. Um, and I've tried, actually. I've contacted SpaceX. I said, hey, I'm wanting to, you know, help others invest in SpaceX as well. Um, they're saying, you know, they have very limited ability. Uh, uh, availability but yeah definitely it's something that i think what an awesome opportunity to be able to let's say get in early um with a company like Sp like spacex um, i wish it could be more democratized um aaron gibson says tesla should make a minivan for large families don't you think i think the um the Model X was kind of supposed to be that large family thing, even though it kind of does with, you know, it's six, seven person seating. But I think the minivan thing, I mean, I like it, but I think, um, I don't know how big the market is for a minivan compared to SUVs. And then you have the Cybertruck. And then if you can go Sprinter van, more of like this delivery van, but then convert it into maybe... A, a larger van i think that might serve people's needs so i'm not sure about um needing a minivan exactly i mean it could happen because tesla is going to address more and more markets over time anything that can really you know transition accelerate that transition to sustainable energy tesla will get into i think 
Uh, Manny N says, Open Door, do you still love it? Yeah, I never really loved Open Door. Like, I think their model, their business model, I'm not completely jiving with. Um, yeah, so, I mean, but who knows? You know, a lot of times these companies can innovate and find something, find a better solution, um, even if their solution doesn't really completely hit the nail on the head, but it depends on the company. Um, any thoughts on ARK Invest Big Ideas 2021? Yes, I received that in the in my email. I need to take a look at it. I've looked at all of ARK Invest's past big ideas. They always are pretty good. Um, I do have a lot of thoughts on them, actually, because I think there are certain trends and certain things that are more important and to understand and grasp and kind of see things through than other things. So, um, yeah, it's definitely... Uh, something you look at. So just type in uh, ARK Invest Big Ideas 2021. You can probably download the their PDF. It's always a good read. All right, Su says, what do you recommend for someone who is a beginner in investment? Um, there are different ways to go about it. Um, the way I kind of look at it is like, okay, mm, my biggest kind of advice would be to be hesitant and guarded in sense of taking in, in an unbiased kind of unquestioned manner, the traditional investment approach. So let me give you a story here. I was calling, I had this like conference call this morning with, with, with um, my bank brokerage, one of them. And they had kind of this three or four people on the call with me. And they're trying to, we had this miscommunication where I was like trying to get some uh, some service that that they had said that they would give. But then later on, they say they're not going to give that service because they need a certain portion of my assets in their so-called private wealth management. And I'm like, okay, what is that? Like, what are you going to do, right? And they're like, well, you give us a fee, let's say a 1% fee and per year, and we'll manage your money for you, right? So we will basically make the management, make the decisions. And I'm like, I don't really want that. You know, I'd rather manage it myself. And, and so we get into this long conversation. I'm trying to understand where they're coming from. If they have any way where I could access this one service I need without having to hand over a portion of our assets for them to manage and give them a fee. And they're spewing all this stuff out about, you know, how as a fiduciary, they need to diversify, you know, my holdings into various assets and asset classes and how they need to do tax planning and asset, you know, or, or um, uh, family planning, et cetera, passing on, you know, assets to next generation, all this stuff. And I'm listening to them. I'm like... You know, I understand that, that most people, a lot of people at a certain point would try to, I guess, uh, try to preserve wealth in a different way. And I was telling them, yeah, I'm not really interested in that right now. Like I'm in a, I'm looking to exponentially grow, you know, assets and resources. And I think I could do that probably best in the way I, I know or what I'm trying to know. And as we're getting into this conversation, the more and more I'm talking with these guys, this is my third call in, in two days, the more I'm realizing that the investment world has such a defined way of what investing is, what money is, what's the purpose of money, what's the goal of money. Everything is just so, so stinking defined. It's so clear. It's law. This is what money is. This is why you have it. This is what you do with it. This is like the smart thing to do. Everything is so 
um, traditionally defined and, and so rigid. And from that call, like, and here's my advice, I'll link it to advice to someone who's a beginner investment, is the more you buy into that, the more you're exposed to that, the more you just take it in unquestioned and you think that that's the way to learn about investing, the more I think it's going to be difficult to get outsized gains, meaning you're boxing yourself in into the traditional model and you're going to be boxed into just trying to achieve market gains as the best case scenario in a sense, right? And that's where Warren Buffett comes in and his thought is, hey, if you're going to try to do that, just go with the S&P 500, go with a total stock market fund, go with something where you don't even have to manage, you have low cost fees and you'll get market gains and you'll outdo most money managers, right? That's the concept. And so I think, yeah, forget the traditional way. If you want to do the traditional way, you're better, probably just better off doing some type of, you know, uh, market low cost index fund, etc. Now, I think there's a way to do investing in a kind of a, a different kind of outsized gains way where you are hacking the system, but this is difficult, it's different. You need to find a competitive advantage, an edge, and you need to go, and I think you need to find people who who believe they have that and need to test it to see if they really have that competitive edge in investing or not. So look for people, look for books, look for YouTube videos, look for articles, look for those who, who are saying that they have a competitive advantage in investing, like an outsized advantage. Um, that they are confident to get outsized gains, not market gains, but outside gains, go into what their method is, but do due diligence in a skeptical manner, in a way where you're like, hey, does this guy really know what they're talking about? Um, it could be different ways. You know, like for example, um, take, a, take an example like Emmett, even though Emmett Peppers, even though he has long-term stock and the vast majority right now in long-term stock, he amplifies and he does a lot of different short-term trades. Um, and it's difficult actually to find someone short-term trading who has actually a proven method of doing that over a long period of time. You can find people over one or two years that have been successful, but to do it over a decade and to go through the ups and downs and come up with a system and strategy is kind of unique. That's one of the reasons why I actually like talking with Emmett because he's kind of developed his own system of trading short term that makes a lot of sense the more I go into it. I'm still learning about it and it's actually quite fascinating. So that's kind of my advice. Like, hey, there's certain people out there that have these systems and philosophies that are oh, that are that are um well rounded in a sense and they form a competitive advantage. And that's kind of what one of the big reasons why I started this channel because I'm like, I don't hear people talking about what I consider a generational company, 10x long-term approach, um, talked about much. Um, after starting my channel, I, I'm hearing more about kind of those words and those ideas being shared and, and I'm happy about it. Um, but it's the idea is my system is more of a long-term approach, find the generational companies that are just gonna be the outsized decade winners, find those with world-class execution ex uh, in large markets with best-of-class product, like far superior products than anyone else in that product, in that category. And with that, you try to get in you know, early, good valuation, and you could see possibly this 10X in five or 10 years, and you ride the power of compound compounding over years. If you can do a 10X in 10 years with your portfolio in generational companies, you do another 10X in another 10 years, that's 100X. And you do another 10 years in another 10X in another 10 years, that's 1,000X. So if you start with whatever you, I don't know what you start with. Let's say you start with 
$10,000, that becomes $10 million, or $100,000 becomes $100 million, or you get the, the, the picture. But a thousand x investing, I say even over 30 years, is not talked about in traditional investing. No one, or I would say no one, but very few people are really going to give a, a, a method. You know, they're not going to systemize, they're not going to have the philosophies and approach to really bring it all together because it just goes against so much of what traditional investing is all about, which is A, it's about your comfort, your preservation, your security, your retirement, all this stuff, which I don't know if that goes in line with what I think the power and the potential of investing really is. Um, all of this to say is who you learn how to invest, who you learn what investing is, who you learn what money is, what's the goal, etc., is going to be crucial to your investing approach and how you invest in the future. So therefore, just picking up any book and saying, oh, I need to learn about investing, and this person who wrote this book knows a lot because they have a book and they are called a financial planner, therefore I need to learn from this person, is, is largely going to box you in into a life of mediocre investing and uh, personally, I think as a beginning, a beginner investment uh, investor, you're at a huge advantage over older investors who have already gone through the whole buy-in process to this traditional investing. They're already bought into it, right? And as a new investor, you actually have a, a chance for a clean slate to say, "Hey, let's take let's take a step back. What is investing? You know, what are you know what is the potential of outsized gains? Can you have a competitive advantage? Can you pick out?" A true generational company like what is the criteria what are the risks etc um yeah all of this stuff is is so fascinating to me because if you can really do a thousand x like you can it's it's mind-boggling and if you can if you can pair that with a hundred x giving or a thousand x giving like super effective and potential giving impact um yeah i mean the potential is enormous i also think um uh um, business has this huge 100, 1,000 X potential. And that's what I did personally with business to create resources to invest is I went into a investment opportunity or a business opportunity with, with Apple and the App Store and with the small amount of money that grew, you know, 100,000 X that allowed me to do another, you know, 10 X and then 100 X with Tesla. But that stuff, a lot of people will call luck and a lot of it is luck in some ways, but part of it is, I'm not sure, and for each scenario is different, each person is different, but for me, a part of it was I was intentionally looking for those outsized gains and those opportunities. Um, I was sleeping on it, like that was the focus. Um, and so, yeah, who you learn, who you learn from, and the system you get into is important. And a lot of times, um, uh, yeah, the, the shiny, reputable, you know, financial advisors, books, systems, probably, you know, um, yeah, they, they, they might be disappointing um, to to um, your investment journey. But anyways, that's, those are just kind of my two cents. All right, guys, um, it's uh, had an awesome time, fun time with you guys on this live chat. I love just, um, um, okay, let's do a few more questions. This is so... I, Actually, I love actually interacting with you guys. Um, Major Human says, what internet forums do you frequent apart from TMC? Thanks. Um, so news.ycommoner.com is one of the places I go to check out some of the stuff that's happening. Um, Twitter is like taking over a lot of the forums, you know? Um, there's actually a Tesla shareholders group on Facebook run by a great moderator. Um, 
um, that's a fun group. But Twitter is is interesting because you can really follow some interesting people and interesting thoughts. Um, my concern with Twitter is you kind of get boxed in to only the people you're following, only the thoughts that you're following, right? Um, and um, yeah, so but yeah, forums. I'm, you know, it's, it's it's coming a lot of Twitter lately. You know, I mean, um, yeah. Dave, do you think uh, Dave, do you think Tesla will do a six hundred to seven hundred percent again? No, no, not this year. Um, yeah, that's ridiculous. After um, after a big jump, uh, Joseph says, "Do you um, do you own some cryptos?" I actually do own some Bitcoin. Um, I've done some videos saying I'm skeptical on the long term. I've got some issues on regulation going forward and on the whole ability for Bitcoin not to be disrupted by um, the disruption of money long term. But I'm always open to uh, trades. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's something I'm learning and growing in. And so um, on it, I'm in Bitcoin for a trade. I might pull it. I, I feel like Bitcoin has some i don't know it's not performing as well as i expect this past few days but i don't want to update my position because sometimes i'm in sometimes i'm out um i've always said with bitcoin short term wise i'm not a bear because it's all dependent on demand if there's demand like bitcoin goes up if there's not it doesn't and when you look at the hype around bitcoin like i'm not one to say there's no demand i mean there's an immense amount of mania and fanaticism around Bitcoin. Therefore, I've always said that I'm not a Bitcoin bear short term wise next few years. Um, yeah, um, longer term, I do have some major uh, doubts about it, but I don't want to. Yeah. Um, but anyways, yeah, who knows, I might have a position or not have a position going forward. Um, Daniel Ham says thoughts on Romeo power. Um, I have no thoughts. I've never heard of them. DM me on Twitter if if you have some thoughts. Um, yeah, I'm always um, um, open to looking into it. Um, thoughts on nickel supply. You know, yeah, I did some research on nickel because after Elon's comments battery day about nickel, nickel, you know, I was like, okay, how can I invest in nickel? Um, I, I couldn't find like what I felt was, you know, the sure bet on nickel. Um, really how to invest in a way for outsized gains. Um, if you have thoughts on nickel, yeah, hit me up. Um, um, stock market video says, have you heard of Mogo stock cash app of Canada? I've not heard of Mogo. Um, yeah, let me know what you, what you think of Mogo too. Amro had a says, would you buy Apple now? I mean, everyone has their own goals and risk profiles for me personally. I'm like, I want that, you know, exponential thing going on. Like I'm looking for 10 X over 10 years, five to 10 years. Um, and um, Apple, um, I love some of their products, and I think they're a great company in a lot of ways. They meet uh, kind of the goals of some people who want more of a safer asset with some dividends and some growth. Um, it's held by so much of the money managers in the world. It's got kind of a big following. So I'm not going to bag on Apple as an investment in any way. Um, it's just that different people have um, different you know, goals on what they're looking for, for investing. <clears throat> All right. Joe Chim Fassi says, will Tesla shareholders have access to SpaceX before the IPO? So Elon has said that he's going to give 
preferential access to Tesla shareholders. I think that's what he said on Twitter for Starlink's IPO. So probably will happen something like what Airbnb did with their IPO. Airbnb gave preferential treatment to Airbnb hosts where they could buy a certain amount of shares. It wasn't that much. Um, maybe I think like $10,000 worth or something around that um, added the IPO price, which is, you know, I think it was like 50 or 60 bucks. Um, so they got a great deal, um, these Airbnb hosts. And I think something similar could happen with Star Starlink. But my whole thing is I think uh, there will be caps on how much people can buy, right, at what price. And so um, it'll be great for those, I think, who, who can, whose max is a small position because they get you know, a great opportunity to hold some of Starlink, right? Um, but for those who aren't looking to build a big position, so I don't think that's probably going to be the best way to do it. All right, guys, um, I'll go ahead and wrap up the live stream right now. It was fun chatting with you guys. Um, I will come back in 45 minutes for the Tesla Q4 2020 earnings. Um, we'll live stream the audio conference call. I'll leave up the 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 stock price here. And then after the earnings call, I'll share some of um, my takeaways from the earnings audio um, conference calls. Always a fun thing to, to, to follow. So anyways, have a great uh, rest of your afternoon. We'll see you guys in the next video. Thanks.